Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for our lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is March 27th, 2017, and this is episode 194. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on today's show, we'll have two guests. All the guests, all the time. Jeff Long of Baseball Prospectus and Matt Taylor of The Roar from 34 come to round out the last podcast of the season without real baseball to talk about. Oh, come on. A World Baseball Classic. Real baseball to talk about. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Can't really argue with that. Uh, and we'll do that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing this week? This week I'm uh, finishing out what's left in the fridge, and so I am dealing with Smittix this evening. Premium Irish ale. Ooh. Um, thank you for pronouncing it in the correct fashion. It's a Smithwicks. Yeah. I'm doing a um, good old-fashioned Dr. Pepper. I gotta pee. Yeah. All right. Well, if you would like to play along with us, please let us know what is on your drink of the week. You can do that by joining us socially on Untapped. I am at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, let's go ahead and dabble into the medical wing. Yes, the tickling is nearing a completion as we get ready for real baseball, as Jake English puts it. Uh, so big news, Ryan Flaherty's shoulder is feeling better. Yeah, looks like he's going to make it as the utility, uh, super utility infielder slash outfielder slash emergency catcher slash occasional pitcher. And of course, by doing so, Chris Johnson gets the boot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poor, 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 poor Mr. Johnson. So Flaherty's shoulder good. Not so good. Chris Tillman's shoulder. He has officially been announced. He's going to start on the DL, but we we, knew we, that. we already knew that. But I guess the good news is, is at least he got out there and threw the ball around it, and he didn't get pushed back another week and said, eh, we're going to let him have a few more weeks to recover. At least he threw from 60 to 90 feet, which, again, it's still probably going to be in the end of April, but at least he's throwing the ball as opposed to throwing the ball seven or eight times and being like, um, I'm going to go sit down for another two weeks after this. At this point, not having a setback is pretty good news. If, if that's the Orioles way. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about um, setbacks because I've been reading. Oh. I've been reading on the interwebs. Is that allowed? Uh, occasionally. Okay. That apparently one Mr. Price from Boston has had a bit of a setback and will not be immediately available as thought. It looks like his return to throwing the baseball will be pushed 
from April to May, mm. which means that the Orioles have quite a few games with the the Red Sox in that early part of the schedule. It, it's a better situation than it could have been. Oh, come on. You know the Orioles are just going to go against some AAA guy from the Red Sox organization and get smoked? Yeah, I know, but I'm supposed to try to feel good about this. Don't ruin my schadenfreude. Sorry, I guess I'll trim it down a little bit in 140 characters or less with this week on the Twitters. Let's go ahead and start with there's always money in the banana stand. This tweet comes from, of course, at Oriole Spastics. And um, Jake, I believe this is what they call in the industry a teaser. Is, is that the right word? Let's hear it. Do you have any clue what this is from, by the way? No. See, you didn't watch terrible television in college, apparently. This is Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Any recollection whatsoever? No. No? No. Okay, so this tweet comes out over the internet, and uh, I I see it, and of course I've got to click on it immediately because it's the oral spastics. And I click it, and I'm listening to it, and my, my, my computer's literally like booming out with the speaker. My son comes over and looks at it, and he says... That man looks very angry. He's looking at the the picture from the Oral Spastics, and it's like, he's not so much angry as just confused. <laughs> so it sounds like we're going to get at least a podcast from yeah. the Spastics, which is great news. Yeah, maybe this Sunday? Maybe? One could only hope. Yes. Next, I want to look at a tweet that comes from Eddie in the Yard, Eduardo Encina. Um, and it's a tweet that says, hashtag Orioles beat hashtag Rays 7-4 on Cisco's three-run homer with an animated gif of Cisco, the quote-unquote musician, dancing in ridiculous fashion. And frankly, I cannot wait for this meme to arrive to the major leagues. Mm. It can't happen soon enough. All right. So this next tweet uh, I, I thought was particularly cool. I actually tweeted this out, and it was um, from Derek Florco at Saber Coach, but it really it came out from a multitude of sources. Yeah. Can you explain this to me? Sure. So this comes back to the whole thing of uh, launch angle and exit velocity leading to um, home runs or dongs, as it were. So uh, this one highlighted zone that is uh, right around the 23 to 33 degree launch angle and 95 plus miles per hour is uh, called the sweet spot zone or the barrel zone. Um, and that's where dongs happen. So, Jake, um, when a man loves a woman, um, the two oh, – I'm sorry. I got carried away there with – I just have one question. Yeah. Why male models? Good question. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't understand. It looks like a Doppler uh, radar image. I can see that there's a, a zone of home runs. Uh, I'm going to have to spend some more time with this. All right? I'm, I'm going to have to go back to remedial looking at pictures – and see if I can work it out. Would it be of any help if we put it to an animation and then played a Beatles song with it? Absolutely. Okay. That would fix 
everything. Gotcha. All right. You want to take this next tweet? I, I, I like this one. It is a, it's a Homer through the hedges uh, moment, and I, I like this. This comes from Matt Kremnitzer, who, of course, tweets at Matt Kremnitzer. What Dan Duquette should do the next time he's asked about Jose Bautista, and it is Homer disappearing through the hedges. Were you a big Simpsons guy as a kid? No, nah, not really. Mm, that explains a lot. Yeah, I, I don't get any of your reference. Uh, no, no Simpsons, no wrestling, no... What did we talk about at the top of the show with the spastics? Uh, that would be uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which was much more of a college thing. Yeah. No. No. Again, folks, this is why I'm the more normalistic person. Jake is just a 60-year-old man that basically is craving his gin and tonics. <laughs> Jake, I will never stop picking on this guy whatsoever. This tweet comes from Ken Rosenthal at Ken Rosenthal. Matt Alvarez, also released by Nationals today, threw 11 and two-thirds scoreless innings this spring, striking out six, allowing 10 hits and three walks. Hashtag Fat Albers. No, Cameron's told him to actually tweet that. I'm just calling him Fat Albers because that truly is who he is. Is hey, 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 what's going on? I'm coming out of the bullpen. Better get me a hamburger ready. I'm going to ruin your 2005 season. I, I will never stop being mad at this guy. Never. It's irrational, and it's not fair, and I don't care. I do not like him, Sam. I am. You realize that the Orioles pretty much like blew out his arm because they overworked him. It's hey, really not his fault. I don't care. You don't care? No, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> last, last, I want to look at a tweet. And Scotty, this is a little self-indulgent. You're going to have to forgive us. This is a tweet that comes from Pitch Talks, who tweet at Pitch Talks. Hey, hashtag Baltimore. Um, that's you guys. We're giving away a pair of tickets, but you got to sign up for our hashtag Orioles mailing list. And then there's a link. And underneath the link is an image, and it's an image of a pitch talks that's going to take place at Rams Head Live on April 6, 2016. This uh, features the the beat writers. It's going to be Britt Giroli, Dan Connolly, Jim Hunter, Rockabaco, Jim Duquette, uh, and us. We're going to be the... Wait, uh what? Yeah. We we have been invited to be the opening act, if you will, <sighs> for, the, uh, for the pitch talks. So we're going to do a live show. Do you know how I do with In Front of Crowds? Well, we finally get to, to uh, show our radio face in public. God it's going to be great. This is going to be horrific. We will so be, we wear underwear, right? That is not required. Something on nice. top, required. You, ha- you have to be more dressed than you are now. Oh, dang. I'm going to have to wash some pants, I guess. Or something. Yeah. April 6, 2017. It all starts at about 6 o'clock. Doors open. We'll be doing a live podcast uh, we'll have some guests from the Birdosphere joining us as well. Please make sure you check that out. We'll have links on these show notes, and we'll be tweeting that out all week. And if you go to homestandsports.com and go to the Baltimore event, you can use promo code BIRDSEYE to get a $5 discount, courtesy of Bird's Eye View. Hey, how about that? We're saving you money. It's what we do. That's our mission. All right. Well, with that, why don't we get into the nitty-gritty and try to explain a little bit to you what that graph actually meant um, with the images and the blurs. Scott. Yeah. Why male models? So, Jake, since uh, 2012, Baseball Prospectus has predicted the Baltimore Orioles to, um, 
well, basically finished with a losing record um, every single year. Um, and the Orioles have beat that prediction and uh, posted a, a winning record, except for the one season, of course, where they posted an 81 and 81 record. Um, but the team, once again, is predicted to finish with a 74 and 88 record. So we decided to go to a fellow writer for Baseball Prospectus since 2014 and an Orioles fan with writings from Baltimore Sports and Life. Please welcome to the show, Jeff Long. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm sure this is going to be like running the gauntlet, so I'm excited. Eh, you know it's better than that. But it is funny to look at the local beat writers and everyone hold baseball prospectus with a a fist of like, ooh, they don't know what they're talking about. So every Baltimore fan and beat writer basically has dismissed anything Pakoda-related and or somewhat baseball prospectus-related since 2012. Um, so my question, Jake, uh, Jeff, is why is Pakota finally going to get it right this year in 2017 with the Baltimore Orioles? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny you ask that because um, on the BP stats team, we've actually kind of talked about the Orioles specifically and trying to kind of narrow in on what are the things that the Orioles do or that the Orioles um, are taking advantage of that maybe Pakota's missing or not valuing correctly. And I think, you know, the Orioles probably benefit from a, a lot of small advantages over what a projection system like Pakoda typically considers, right? Um, Pakoda looks, you know, generally speaking, it's going to take all the performances and kind of shrink them back to the middle. Um, and when you look at that on a team level and you say, well, you know, the Orioles were pretty good and last year, um, you know, shrinking them back to the average is not 78 wins. Um, but when you look at like individual players, you see them kind of come back. And so you have all these players who sort of outperform what Pakoda thinks they ought to do. And then, um, the next year it's like, well, you know, this is going to be the year that they're not going to outperform it. And then they kind of tend to do it again. Um, so, you know, it's hard because a big piece of it is playing time. And a big piece of it is not just playing time. Like we can, um, you know, Hyunsoo Kim, we can project him for, you know, whatever it is, 350 at bats. But if he only hits against right-handed pitchers and he ends up, you know, with a 380 OBP again, then that's an area where it's really hard for us to project only right-handed hitting or only right-handed pitchers pitching to Hansu Kim. You know, it's just one of those things that you can't really do. Um, you know, another piece of it too that I think is really interesting is we actually talk about this very specifically, but if you look at like Brad Brock, um, I personally, and I've done a little bit of research on this, but um, there's kind of two classes of relievers. There's sort of like the, um, you know, whatever, one year aberration, really good reliever, and then the next year they're terrible because relievers are just really up and down all the time. And then there's guys like Brock or Britton or O'Day who are just consistently terrific. And if you look at, like, the comparable players in Pakoda for a guy like Brad Brock, they have ERAs of like four and a half runs, six and a half runs, whatever, because, you know, Pakoda's kind of like, oh, you know, some guys had really good years and then the next year they fell back. And so it, it constantly takes all those relievers and projects them to be more average than we would normally expect. Um, but, you know, there may be that special class of reliever that is just really consistent and consistently dominant. And so the, all those little kind of little tiny benefits, like it's like the plot to Superman two or whatever, where they take fractions of a penny and also office space. 
um, where they take fractions of a penny and it ends up being like, you know, some astronomical amount because they move the decimal place over. Um, that's kind of the Orioles versus Pakoda in a nutshell. So the Orioles are money laundering is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the like I think Buck Showalter probably, after the lights go out at Camden Yards, takes a printer out to the mound and just like hits it with a baseball bat a bunch of times. You know, as somebody who also benefits from small advantages, I, I, I dig what you just said. Um, but I think all of the, the fans that are down at Pakoda, um, you know, really aren't honest with themselves when they look at a team like the 2016 Orioles, uh, who, you know, made the playoffs or, or at least made the play in game, depending on which way you look at it. If they're really honest with themselves, they look at that starting rotation, they look at the offense, they look at whatever. It's tough to see a playoff bound team when the Orioles are trotting out the five that they, they trotted out last year. And so the fact that they exceed our, our dumb expectations and the fact that they exceed the, the projection models, uh, you know, it, it makes sense that it exceeds both. And I think that they tell us new and interesting things about what exactly the Orioles pulled off, not only last year, but in the, in the past. And it's an interesting way to look at, okay, well, the Pagoda projection and our expectations are, are such and such for 2017. Depending on where they end up, what's that magic bit that will that will cross the difference? I, I think it's uh, you know for for all of us uh, fans that maybe aren't so much on the back of the napkin math, it, it's an interesting way to look at expectation versus actual performance. No, I think that's a I think that's a perfect summary for it. Um, and I think Sports Illustrated this year did kind of like a calendar of the season. And it was like August 26th. It was like the date that we're going to realize the Orioles are better than computer said they were going to be. You know, it's it's one of those things where I was talking to Craig Goldstein and I was looking at the our depth charts for the Orioles. And I was looking at, you know, the starting rotation and the bullpen and, you know, who were the sixth and seventh starters that were going to come up when pitchers inevitably get hurt. And I was like, good Lord, this is. This is not pretty, you know. Things are going to get ugly. But the thing, that, um, the thing that didn't make the art, the thing that didn't make the article though is after that date that we all realize that they're better than we expect. The very next day they'll get beat eighteen to two and it'll just be miserable <laughs> to watch. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We'll all you know bemoan the collapse of the Orioles again. Yep. All right. So I want to go to that Craig Goldstein article because he posted a really interesting article. Um, with some great emojis is the best way to describe it, uh, going through the Orioles' um, success, and I put success in, in quotation marks, for developing pitchers. Um, but it certainly looks like um, the Orioles may have something this year with Gossman and Bundy uh, potentially being able to take that step forward. Um, and, and Craig was, I wouldn't say high on Gossman and Bundy, but he gave a hope to Orioles fans that we probably haven't seen um, in, in decades in terms of a 1-2 dominant punch um, for the Orioles. So if the Orioles actually are able to get that dominant one-two starter uh, for the rotation, um, what does that do to the Pakoda projection system? Does it completely throw it out the water, or is it just it, it is what it is? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? Because um, one of the things that we've kind of explored a little bit is to, you know, I talked about the the way that Pakoda works is it takes every every player and it assigns a similarity score to other players who were the same you know, age and had the same track record and whatever. And so, you know, Manny Machado gets compared to like, you know, Mike Schmidt in the fourth year of his career and, you know, Brooks Robinson in the third year of his career and whatever. And that's how it kind of computes what they're going to, what they're going to do. Um, it's hard when you look at, you know, guys like Gossman and Bundy, because I think there is a lot of reason to be really excited. They're, they're immensely talented guys. They, I've been 
super high on both of them since they were drafted. Um, but that, you know, it's just, it's been such a difficult road to get here. Um, so it's hard to kind of figure out how successful they're going to be. And I think Osman is a really perfect example where he's had to really kind of tinker with things and figure it out on the fly. And the success that he's had in the major league sort of belies the struggle that he's had to deal with to be successful, right? He's, he's, you know, thrown like three or four different changeups. He's thrown three or four different breaking balls. He's really had to work and tinker. And I think the hope is if he can find those, that sweet spot and find, you know, the, the pitches that he feels really confident in, then he can start focusing on things like, you know, getting ahead in the count and attacking the zone and, and stuff like that. But, um, when you're kind of unsure of your stuff or, you know, Dylan Bundy with his cutter, like oh, I'm not throwing it. I am throwing it. Who knows? Um, it it kind of makes you second guess your approach and you start nibbling. And then, you know, so it, there's, they're just both toss ups. I mean, they're, they're lottery tickets because they could be legitimate aces and they could carry this team into the playoffs. And frankly, if you have two guys who, you know, have the potential that they have to be dominant, you could, really do well throughout the course of the season and into the playoffs. But God knows if they'll stay healthy and God knows if they'll perform because we never know what to expect from those two. One of the other interesting quotes from the Goldstein article was as follows. Gaussman grades out rather poorly in terms of his called strike probability and CSAA. If he can take a step forward in his command and control and it goes on and discusses how he could improve. Uh, So there was, some interesting work that you and the fellow uh, individuals at Baseball Prospectus did on a topic uh, that was called tunneling. Can you describe a little bit about that research and um, how it potentially relates to the Orioles, potentially Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gossman? Yeah, so um, we usually kind of looked at two things. The first was uh, what Craig mentioned is the call strike probability and call strikes above average. And those are our attempts to measure command and control. Actually, control and command, I should say. So called strike probability um, every time you know, you guys are familiar with like the uh, zo- strike zone maps that are on Twitter, the like bots that are like that pitch was three inches from the zone and called a strike. And, you know, it's a strike 10 percent of the time, whatever. Um, on every pitch in a much more rigorous fashion, we calculate how likely it is that a pitch should be called a strike or is called a strike in reality. And then, you know, so let's say there's a 85 percent chance that Gossman throws a pitch and it's called a strike. Um we can give him credit for that 85%. And then even if it's called a ball, right, we know that 85% of the time that pitch should be a strike. Um, Called strikes above average is where we start getting into, if it was called a strike, cool, we'll give him credit for that. If it wasn't called a strike, you know, he should be kind of um, dinged a little bit for that because his pitches are the same as another pitch, but he's getting it called a ball where most people are getting called a strike. Um, the other piece to it was the pitch tunnels concept. And really it's a pretty simple concept. The idea is pitchers want to try and make their pitches look similar, but act differently. So if I'm a hitter, I, if I, you know, the pitcher doesn't want his fastball and his curveball to be easy to tell apart. He doesn't want the hitter to be able to figure out, Oh, it's a curveball as soon as he lets go of it. So the concept of pitch tunnels was um, looking at how similar a pitcher's uh, offerings are when the batter has to decide whether or not to swing. And some guys are really elite pitch tunnel guys. Um, you know, you look at like Kyle Hendricks and John Lester, both um, on the Chicago Cubs. They're, they're both 
guys who have really tight release points. They have really tight uh, tunnel points, which is the point where how far apart the balls are when the batter has to decide whether or not they're going to swing. Um, other guys like Clayton Kershaw are really wide, but Kershaw has such ridiculous, stupid stuff that it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, and, you know, with with as far as it re- relates to Bundy and Gossman, there's a lot of pieces that can make a pitcher successful, right? You There's pitch selection, there's sequencing, um, there's your raw stuff. You know, do you have a, you know, a 95 plus mile an hour fastball, which both of them technically do. Um, you know, a lot of pieces fall into it. Tunnels is one piece of that. And, and it's an opportunity for them to um, work on pitch sequencing. So if you throw a fastball and a cutter, that's going to have a, a tighter tunnel than a fastball and a curveball because curveball moves a lot more than a cutter does just fundamentally. Um, so some, there's some things that pitchers can do to tweak their approach to make it harder for hitters to figure out what pitch is coming and when. All right. So is this a good thing or a bad thing for Bundy and Gosman? Or like, do they actually have like above average stuff or are they, they just kind of like, eh, they are who they are and they're just getting by with their raw talent. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's interesting. Um, for those guys, they're, they're both kind of stuff pitchers as it were. Um, yeah. they're both guys that have, um, really terrific offerings. One of the things that we've found is that just fundamentally a guy like Gossman is going to have tighter pitch tunnels than a guy like Bundy because um, the curveball is really the big outlier in terms of movement. Um, if you're throwing Gossman kind of throws a curve, but it's, it's kind of slurvy. It's more like a slider. Um, those pitches just don't tend to break as much vertically and also horizontally. So he's going to, his pitches are going to look more similar simply because they just don't move as much um, uh, or move apart as much as Dylan Bundy's do. But, you know, it really comes down to, in my opinion, a combination of being able to leverage sequences that maximize your ability to, to tunnel your pitches, to make pitches look similar to one another but also to do it in a way that's effective, right? So um, let's talk about, you know, Kevin Gossman, for example. What Kevin Gossman should want to do is, let's say he throws a first pitch fastball to a batter and, you know, the guy takes it for a strike. Say it's on, you know, the, the inside corner of the plate. If Gossman can follow that up with a, you know, split finger changeup, for example, or a split finger fastball, depending on your preference, um, if he can throw that pitch in a way that makes it look just like that fastball, but then it dives off the table, that's how you're going to get weak contact and ground balls. That's how you're going to get swings and misses and get ahead in the count. O two versus, you know, if he goes slider there and tries to throw it outside, there's a, the hitter's able to tell the difference. The hitter's able to kind of figure out, okay, this isn't the same pitch. I can kind of assess that and adjust accordingly. Um, so those are the little things I think that can go into it. And, can make or break whether or not a guy's successful. Um, I'll say Kevin Gossman's actually pretty good among, so there are 623 pitchers that threw a hundred pitch pairs. Basically we do it. We look at two sequential pitches. Like you have to throw a pitch one and a pitch two, because we have to be able to measure how close they are. Um, 623 pitchers that threw at least a hundred pitch pairs. Gossman is 87th for the smallest distance between pitches where the batter has to make a decision whether or not to swing. 
Um, so like I said, his, his pitch tunnels are actually pretty strong, um, and really good for a starting pitcher, frankly. So for him, it's really a matter of trying to attack the zone and getting those early strikes because he can get weak contact just knowing that his pitches are going to look very similar, but then hopefully, you know, diverge by the time the batter swings at them. All right. I'm done with tunneling. I want to get to the meat of the topic I really want to talk to you about. I want to talk about your equipment, Jeff Long. I want to talk about your balls, but I really want to talk about weighted balls in specific. So can you tell me what is the benefit of using weighted balls? Because I know they are predominant through Major League Baseball right now. And to a certain regard, I have to ask the question, why aren't all teams and players utilizing them at this time? Um, so it's interesting. I think there's a lot of data that um, that goes both ways on this particular topic. Um, and fundamentally, the biggest thing about it is going to be are you, you know, are you working on a program that is going to um, get the most benefit out of using weighted balls? The weighted balls can really hurt your arm if you don't know what you're doing or you're not um, properly, you know, operating on a program that is meant to maximize their effectiveness. If that makes sense. Um, so you're yeah, saying I'll, you're saying Pedro Alvarez should not be throwing weighted balls around, basically. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, you know, he can if he to- if he wants to. He just has to get on the right program. <laughs> so you're telling us that a, a good program would make him a, a good right fielder? Uh, no. There are no <laughs> programs that will make him a good right fielder. Um, your balls aren't magic enough, Jeff. That's right. Jake, I think you, so, had, you had a question, too, also uh, off of weighted balls. Yeah, and stuff I, have, like that. I have something that has nothing to do actually, about his balls. with balls. If we okay. could get off ball talk uh, for just a second. Uh, I want to, you know, Scotty points, uh, pokes fun at me all the time for not being the stats guy, and he's right. But uh, this last season, in 2016, the buzzword was launch angle, right? We were all about the launch angle. Um, and so I want to ask you, what is the next big thing for stat heads in 2017 what's the big statistical buzzword in baseball that we're going to be hearing in 2017 or the thing that we're going to be focusing on more with maybe a renewed understanding um you know i think launch angle was really it's been kind of crazy to see it really take off um and when you think about it it's kind of obvious like you know yeah. what i mean like you know home runs are good and so we should try and hit more of them wait i'm writing um, i'm writing this down wait wait Home runs are good. Mark Trumbo learned that last year. It worked out pretty well for him. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. uh, (laughs) I would say Mark Trumbo is probably very pleased with his launch angles. Um, You know, one of the things that I think this year is going to be really interesting um, is the guys at um, Major League Baseball Advanced Media who kind of with StatCast, they really pushed this launch angle piece last year. I think this year it's going to be a big uh, emphasis on catch rate and some of these defensive statistics that they're rolling out. Um, Part of the reason that it's particularly interesting is just because defense has been so hard to measure from a data standpoint. And, you know, you look at the eye test, but the eye test is really hard, right? And Adam Jones is the poster boy for stats versus eye test. Um, You know, there's a lot that goes into it, right? Positioning and reaction times and, you know, how fast you can get to the ball and all sorts of stuff. So, um, I think what these guys have been able to do is by looking at data points all across Major League Baseball and then kind of tell you like, oh, you know, that's a catch 89% of the time. So like, yeah, he dove and it looked great, but like 
really. It wasn't, it shouldn't have been that hard. Um, I think those pieces can be helpful because it, it gives us more context to layer onto the eye test. And um, the difficulty I think a lot of times is for the data side, it's very easy to just live and die by the data. But things like catch probability and launch angle are things that dovetail really, really nicely into um, what we see happening on the field. Like we can see when a guy, you know, hits the ball at a really solid launch angle because the ball, you know, it's like a hard line drive to the outfield or it's a, you know, home run or whatever. Um, similarly, we can kind of see, you know, Adam Jones tracking a ball down and be like, oh, only 6% of guys make that catch. And we're like, cool. I get like, it makes sense to me now. Like I, I believe that. Um, so I have a feeling that's going to be pretty buzzy this year just because it's putting numbers on stuff that we couldn't really um, effectively quantify before, uh, at least not in the same way. All right. And I got one last question for you before we close out this interview. Manny Machado, MVP candidate this year, or Mike Trout still gets it no matter what? I mean, Manny Machado is an MVP candidate every year, Yeah, if not in Major League Baseball, in my heart. Um <laughs> But you, you were on the I mean, you were on the Manny Machado MVP like bandwagon to begin with out of anybody else that I think I've ever talked to. You're just like this is the year Manny Machado is going to be an MVP. I think this started what was it 2014? You started preaching this. Yes, it did. As, as yeah. soon as he had two new knees, Jeff was Jeff on was board. all on him. Just like yes, the man has good knees now. That's what I need if he's going to satisfy my balls. I mean, never mind if he's going to satisfy my MVP race. But so right. do, do you think there's any chance though he could actually get it? I mean. I know he's a candidate every single year, but it, it, can he actually usurp Trout as one of the best players in the game? Uh, I so here's the thing: Mike Trout um, is he's, basically he's ridiculous. Willy Mays. Yeah, he's he's the best. Yeah, I mean he's out of control. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's one of those things where I think it's perfectly reasonable to to say yes. I think that at some point in the next you know four or five seasons that Manny will have a season that's better than Mike Trout. Um, and, and the reality is Manny's like a top 10 player in baseball. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it, but Mike Trout is just so otherworldly that it's almost unfair. Um, so they should have like a non Mike Trout MVP trophy that they give to like the rest of the league because I, I said that last year and Jake made fun of me. So my, we're number two, we're number yeah. two. So I mean, Jeff, are you rooting for Mike Trout to get hurt? Is what I'm hearing. Uh, not you know, I, not for him to get hurt, but like if he had you know, uh, like, like a sabbatical in his eye, uh, yeah, maybe like just like a really every at bat, maybe just like a really bad breakup that just left him existentially wounded for the entire season. Just, yeah, or you know, he's really into weather, so like maybe we'll have you know with like you know, the non-existent global warming, maybe we'll have some really weird weather patterns and he'll just be really distracted in every at bat or the, or the plague. I mean, you just could do the plague could be any and all of the above. <laughs> all right. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. Um, anything going on at baseball prospectus uh, that you're going to be writing about in the near future? Um, yeah. So, you know, this pitch tunnel stuff is really the tip of the iceberg where, um, looking into some additional uh, ideas and some concepts around how to present that. We're looking into pitch sequencing. Um, and also, you know, we looked at the tunnels data from the pitcher side. What does it mean for the actual batters who have to adjust to these different types of pitches and the different um, ways that pitchers, you know, mix up their pitches and make them look like one another. So 
those are all kind of things that we're going to be tackling over the course of this year. And um, it should be pretty exciting and fun to see because it's a totally new way to look at the batter pitcher matchup. So, Folks, I can't recommend enough to go and follow Jeff Long at Jeff Long BP on Twitter uh, from talking about everything from baseball perspectives with the tunnels aspect, but also Jeff gets a chance to test a lot of cool toys in terms of the baseball world. So highly recommend following Jeff to see what he's getting into on a day in and day out basis. So Jeff, thanks very much for coming on Bird's Eye View this evening. No, thank you guys for having me. It was a blast. Matt Taylor makes an appearance on this show every year just about this time for a couple of reasons. Most notably, he's the creative force behind one of our favorite Orioles blogs, The Roar from 34. Also, he's an incredibly sharp and knowledgeable Orioles fan whose great insights improve the quality of this program. Matt Taylor, welcome back to Bird's Eye View. Thanks. It's great to be here again uh, this spring, and and I like to think that uh, the springtime tradition just reflects the fact that I'm consistently in the best shape of my life at this time of year, and then the season starts and it kind of goes downhill from there. And hey, the Orioles haven't lost while we've been doing this, so we are contractually obligated to keep it up. Undefeated. All right, let me get the the important things out of the way first. What is your drink of the week? Well, I recently returned from a trip to St. Louis, and I brought two things back with me. First was a, a real sense of envy, driving by the Cardinal Stadium and seeing all the Championships listed on the facade of the building. Devil magic. Uh, the other thing I came back. <laughs> What's that? It's all devil magic. Don't feel bad. Uh, de- devil magic. Yeah. Um, maybe who knows? Maybe I brought some of that back for these for the Orioles as well. Um, the other thing that I, that I have with me is the uh, Schlafly Double Bean Blonde. It's a special release um, from Schlafly, the St. Louis brewery. Uh, it's quite good. It's a mix of coffee and chocolate in a blonde. Oh, I've never actually heard of that one. I've, I've heard of Schlafly, but I've never heard of the. It's a. You said double bean blonde ale. Yes. Interesting. It's their special release, and they're they're very smart about this because I ordered something different with uh, with dinner, and they brought out a, a taste of the double bean bean blonde as well. I said, well, if you, if you like that stout, you might also like this. And sure enough, I did. And oh, by the way, it's for sale in the lobby. So of course, I. I Got some, brought it back with me. So they basically said, you don't know what you're actually drinking, so we're going to bring you something out that's better than what you're drinking, and we're going to force you to buy it. They, they improved my taste. Okay. I, I'm dubious. I'm I'm not into stouts uh, with you know the chocolate and the coffee, and I'm not into blondes, so I'm more of a brunette guy. Yeah, because I say your wife will be very happy to hear that. So, Jake, um, you and I were talking about this, and we saw this tweet um, over Twitter this week, and there was some troubling news um, this week from the aforementioned roar from 34. So, um, Matt, can you tell us a little bit more about um, what might be happening? Well, gentlemen, the, the roar from 34 is no more. Beg your pardon? The, the roar from 34 is, is no more. They, they talk about players hanging up their cleats. I'm hanging up my cliches. But but Matt, you're in the best shape of your life. You literally just said it. So you're leaving the game just like David Ortiz is what I'm hearing. I I, I want to go out at the at the top. 
Well, Matt, we, when you told us about this, we wanted to make sure that we had you on the show uh, for a couple of reasons. First, we had to tip our cap to you. Second, we needed to raise your glass. And lastly, we needed to thank you. We need to thank you for providing a product that we enjoyed so very much. As someone who poured blood, sweat, and tears into Roar from 34, I want you to know that it was exactly the kind of blog that I wish that I could have written myself. It was a safe place to be a homer, uh, whether that was unfairly celebrating or criticizing the team. It made the hard days easier, and it made the good days sweeter. The blog made me think. It made me laugh. And occasionally it made things dusty while I was reading it. So, Matt Taylor, thank you very much. The Roar from 34 will be missed from my daily experience as an Orioles fan. I really appreciate that. Um, it, it's nice. It's been really nice to connect with you know, fellow Orioles fans. And, um, yeah, it's hard to know as you're writing things and you try and picture who might be reading. And um, I'm just glad that things, you know, along the way did connect with folks and it's, uh, been able to get some some good feedback and hear from folks that that share the same passion for the for the Orioles and uh, the stories behind the team and their own connection to it. So All thanks. Right. So you've been doing this for longer than we've been doing our podcast. So I asked you this: looking back on the project at the end of it, what was this blog all about, and how do you hope it is remembered going forward in Birdland? Oh, you know, I, I went with the the tagline of. of history, humor, and homerism, um, and that the history was, was a big part of it, and that really came about you know, as, as I started it, and the O's were so bad at the time, and, and trying to, to remind folks and even you know, remind myself that uh, this, this was a, a once-proud franchise and that uh, it shouldn't be just remembered at that time in the, in the current shape that it was, um, and so it's a good opportunity you know, to, to learn about more about the team history and um, I guess as part of that, even go beyond just the, the big names and gore years, uh, I really started to relish finding kind of more of the rare finds and the lesser known things. Um, so that history piece was really important uh, along the way as well. But one of the other things that came out um, is you know, really important to me, and I think for a lot of folks, is just in my connection to the team is that comes through uh, with different relationships. For me, it you know, goes back a couple generations, starting with um, you know, my grandfather's and you know, my relationship with my dad and um, then now sharing that, you know, with my children. And, and so really kind of exploring my own connection and, and how I developed this passion for the team. And, and as part of that, getting to hear about how other people share that passion in their own right, uh, whether it's through mothers, fathers, you know, grandfathers, grandmothers, whatever brought them to the team and connected them to it. And they could go to the ballpark and be reminded at that time, um, regardless of what's happening on the, on the field. So that, that's the other big piece, I think, is that that connection, it goes beyond the, the wins and losses and even the current roster and, and speaks to kind of your own personal history with the team. So how do you think that your experience as a fan will be different this upcoming year than it was in years past when you were actively blogging about the team? Uh, if I'm being honest, it'll probably be less stressful. Uh, <laughs> I, I was always trying to think of the next blog post and reminding myself like, Oh yeah, it's taking too long. It's been a few days. Um, and you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, and I think already uh, I, would, I sense that there'll be a, a certain you know, feeling of, of missing the opportunity just to, to write and you know, share a perspective as it, as it comes about watching a game and seeing different patterns and trends emerge. But um, then there's also that not that pressure there of, of feeling like you have to have to write something. So I'm guessing it'll be a more relaxed experience um, overall, and 
I also you know, plan to, to stay active. Uh, it's fun during the games to be on Twitter and, and connect with fans during the game. And so uh, probably just as, as an outlet. And I do hope to still do some, some writing um, you know, wherever that might end up on the Orioles blogosphere. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a very different experience. I mean, I haven't done this. It's been you know, a blog for 10, 10, 10 years, 11 seasons. So uh, you know, this will be the first time in a long while where I'm not looking for the next thing to, to write about. So it's going to be a much different experience. And, uh, yeah, I, I listened to Bird's Eye View, um, I guess it was a few weeks ago and Mark Brown was on. And that was kind of my introduction to baseball season. And it was like, wow, I'm going to miss this. Like, that was the feeling right away. You know, I, I love listening to you guys, and, and I enjoy the, the work that Mark's been doing through the years on Camden Chat. So it was right away a feeling of, wow, I'm going to miss this. Um, but I think there also will be, you know, like I said, less less pressure to to produce content. Um, that said, I never felt like I produced as much as I as I wanted to. Um, so I think that will be a little a little more relaxed. But then again, the team will still stress me out, so I won't be completely relaxed. Well, Matt, don't don't tempt me, or else I'll make this a, an episode of an hour long love fest for Roar from Thirty Four. But if it's all right, I'm actually going to ask some Orioles related questions if you can stand it. Okay, absolutely. Um, can't we just like keep crying? I mean, this is really sad. <laughs> Six or seven more drinks of the week through, I'll be okay. I'm emotional here, okay. <laughs> the glass case of emotion. We are a glass case of O motion. There you go. Um, I, I want to ask you: Is there any way the Orioles can keep one or more of their Rule Five draft picks? And and I guess a, mo- a more concise way of asking that question is: Which of the outfielders do you think come north with the team? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, when it comes to anything Rule Five, injuries, real and imagined, always always help in that regard. Um. You know, it's it's going to be interesting. I was uh, you know, reading some stuff in preparation for the the show to see kind of what the perspective was out there, and uh, it, it seemed like one of the big surprises uh, in terms of, of you know who might be making the trip with the team is uh, Craig Gentry. I guess he's made a good good case for himself throughout the the spring, um, and I, I'm disappointed, I guess, overall that. Uh, we didn't get to, to find out what was really going to happen. We found out today in the sense that, that Michael Porn was uh, was granted his release, but um, he'd been one that I'd actually hoped would be part of that group. And then he had to go toss him a football and, and bust in his finger. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I don't have, I just don't have a good uh, answer on that one. I, I think that um, the outfield situation uh, remains, you know, unclear. I mean, anytime you've got uh players going out there like Mancini that are trying to you know, learn the position so we can get that bat in the lineup somehow. And you know, I saw a suggestion that, you know, Hey, Pedro Alvarez, let's have him and Bowie and have him try the outfield. And so it, it seems as unsettled as, as ever. Um, and I wouldn't say that we have a lot of, a lot of clear answers beyond the fact, obviously that we'll see uh, the captain out there in, in center field. Um, and obviously we'll, um, you know, kind of have, have our regulars there, but in terms of who's filling in around them, it's still, I think, very, very open, very much up in the air. And it sounds like overall, both with outfield and especially with the pitching, that we're going to see kind of the usual shuffle between Norfolk and the, and the, you know, the big club and trying to ride the, the hot hand as we fill in around the stars with kind of our you know, spare parts, so to say. All right. So you mentioned Trey Mancini. 
And he's definitely in this weird position um, of not really having a position is the best way to describe it. Um, having to try to maybe learn the outfield because again, there's no spot for him at DH. So my question is based off of what you've seen so far during spring training, are you on the Trey Mancini hype train or do you think that again, he's another fringe prospect like a Nolan Rymel that will quickly flame out with enough at bats? Um, I, I hate to put him in the category of a Nolan Rymel, that I feel like in some ways that's a, a dirty word. I was never, and it's easy to say in hindsight, I wasn't sold on Rymel when he first came out. There was a lot of excitement about him as a, you know, as a corner outfielder. And, um, I, and I can't say it was anything specific in terms of me looking at numbers and any great prognostication. It was honestly just a, a gut feeling. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't like to put him in that category. I think. So Jeffrey Hammonds is what I'm hearing. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think with, with Mancini, well, what we saw at the end of last season, granted it was in a, a short spurt, but, um, you know, there was still some, some big leagues at bat, big league at bat. So it's a little, uh, not much, but a little more of a track record um, that, that adds to the spring that certainly helps. I, I certainly hope that the, the guy gets a, a shot wherever, you know, whatever position you have to do, whatever creative uh, shuffling. And I think certainly, the, the expectation that's there, the excitement that's built around him, given what he did you know, at the end of last season and, and you know, the spring that he's had, he's not going to live up to that expectation, I think, for a lot of Orioles fans. But uh, I certainly like the potential that's there for him to, you know, for him to be a consistent bat you know, for us. And you know, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, it, it's a shame that uh, a team that's so bereft of prospects, you know, the, the one guy that, that kind of comes up uh, as – the big prospect who's doing so well just happens to play the position that, that's blocked for the foreseeable future. And that just seems, I don't know if it's unlucky or just kind of the Orioles planning overall, but yeah, uh, if the Orioles, only if the Orioles couldn't have re-signed a player like, Oh, Chris Davis, Oh, and then came back and re-signed Mark Trumbo and shoot themselves on the foot and Pedro Alvarez and Pedro Alvarez as well. Yeah. I, I think this comes back to not so much. Oh, he's a really good prospect to the Orioles are just like, you know what? We're just gonna go ahead and resign really big white guys and hope everything works out for us. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna build a successful franchise, I mean, that's build it with white guys. Great, that's what I just heard Matt Taylor say. <laughs> All right, um, I, I've seen something happen uh, over the past couple of days that that leads me to feel a certain way, and I want I want to know if you're there with me. So. Um, we know that the top of the Orioles rotation coming out of, of opening day is going to be uh, Kevin Gosman and Dylan Bundy right there at the top. So I ask you, Matt, are we living in the future? It seems it does seem the future has arrived. Uh, and you know, that's something that, that I'm excited about and uh, I'll be excited about, you know, for, for two starts uh, as we go through the rotation and then we'll just, kind of grin and bear it for the, the rest of the rotation um, because it certainly drops off from there. But I, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, Gosman in particular. I mean, I, I think him getting a chance to, to start an opening day, I'll, you know, albeit you know, with, with Tillman injured, you don't like that circumstance. But you know, I'm excited to see him have a chance and, and you know, potentially you know, break through and, and become the, the star that uh, – We've hoped that, that he would be and uh, go beyond just the great stuff that he's, he's had from the start to really learning how to how to pitch and 
Um, so I'm, I'm excited about him and you know, Bundy. There's always going to be the question in terms of durability and can he go the full season, but you know, we've been waiting on the guy for a long time and, and it kind of had the, the tease initially out of the bullpen and then, you know, more rotation work last year. But uh, if there's another rotation that's, uh, there's not much to be very excited about and a lot to be concerned about to be starting with those two guys, at least uh, gives, I think a reason to, to watch and be excited, uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully the future is now, and hopefully it's a, a good future because you know, we need it. Well, I think some of the excitement is nervous nausea because if the Gosman Bundy thing doesn't work out, that which we're left with is um, not no. exciting. That's actually a great point, Jake, and it, it leads me to my next thing: is Matt was talking about this nervous anxiety that Pehenshi would have with not, you know, having to write a blog and stuff like that. But I want to kind of talk about that. Since, Matt, you're not going to be able to write about the highs and the lows of the Baltimore Orioles season, I would ask you this. What is your best-case and worst-case scenario for the Orioles this season? Uh, well, I think best-case um, best case scenario is that, you know, Tillman comes back and, and is able to uh, to pitch like the Tillman we need him to be, that, that Gosman and the car behind it and then you know a team that could be right there and competing in the division but can maybe finish eh, high high best best case scenario maybe cracking in 90 or 91 worst case scenario i think we're looking at our first losing season and um you know win total more in the, the low 70s so that's quite a quite a spread of possibilities I think we, we outperformed um, Dakota last year. Oh, how many? I mean, it was a, it was a bunch. Um, was it 17 games from their projection to, to what the Orioles' actual win total was? And if they were to do that again this year, that would put them at about 91 wins. Um, I don't I honestly don't see them getting into to 90, but my expectation um, yeah, is probably that this is a team that best we can hope for is probably, you know, Mid, mid to high 80s and, and being there in contention, um, probably more more likely the, the first wild card rather than the division. But, you know, if David Price, if his arm injury turns out to be you know, something serious after all, then, you know, maybe you, maybe you sneak a shot at the division. But I think more than likely we're probably looking at uh, a scenario where if things break in the in the right direction, it's a, a team that's, you know, up and down, looking to finish Mid, mid to upper 80s with a, a shot at uh, shot at a wild card. Look, Matt, you I told you give me my best case scenario. The last thing I want to hear going into the season that my best case scenario is mid 80s to upper 80s. I want you to lie to me, basically, and just tell me that the Orioles are going to dominate. They're going to have 100 wins, and they're going to basically put the Red Sox and the Yankees in the bottom of the ALEs. Just lie to me, okay? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I last summer I went out when they played the White Sox in, in August and um, saw, saw two games from that three game set. It was a Saturday and Sunday game. And Saturday uh, they wound up losing that game. You know, they started the game with uh, an Adam Jones leadoff double, moved him to, to third, had runners on first and third, nobody out, didn't score, um, couldn't score many runs all night. And then there's the, you may remember, there's a, it's like a bloop, uh, Blue single that the White Sox got down the third base line. It was initially called foul. Then they said, no, it's on review. No, it's fair. So the Orioles wind up losing the game. We have all these runners stranded, and it's like, there's your frustration, right? That's 
the Orioles are slumping. This great lineup early in the season now can't hit anything. You know, this team is doomed. And then the next day, Sunday, they come out, and you've got you know Machado homers three times. They put up ten runs on the board. Bundy pitches. You know, it's like six six strong innings. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, this this team can conquer the world. You know, it's like Bundy. Bundy's doing this, and look at you know, look at Machado with three home runs, and I was there. And so you had this boost. But I think that that's really who this team was, and I think probably who they're going to be again this year is that, you know, they're going to be those ups and downs that that even out, and that's true of any baseball team, but I think where you look for more of a consistency is when you do have a a strong rotation and you can get consistency from your pitching. Well, the Orioles don't don't have that. You've got this explosive offense that, you know, can have record-setting months for home runs, but then can also go, you know, stone cold. So I think that, um, you know, it's going to be probably a typical inconsistency up and down, and my my realistic thought, and you know, I, I kind of have a sports jinx that whatever I say with any kind of feeling of authority winds up being the exact opposite thing that happens. So keep that in mind as I say this. But I think April is going to be a rough month. I mean, when you look at um, you know, the, a lot of AL East in there, Blue Jays and, and Red Sox and um, Yankees in there, and I think probably just a rough month overall that uh, could be a slow start to the season that has folks concerned. And I think that'll even out over time, but, um, you know, I think as whereas last year we had this unexpected run at the beginning that provided a bit of a cushion uh, moving forward. And you saw the projections of, well, if, you know, if they win this many games, if they go 500, they're made of the season, they can still win this many. I think it's probably going to be the opposite this year where it's, you know, maybe a slower start um, in April that has some cause for concern, but that'll, that'll even out. So, um, I want to. I want to tell you. You know, I want to lie to you, but uh, I. I just can't provide any fake news at the moment. <laughs> You're not good at this. You need. You need to work harder. <laughs> you know. You don't. You don't have to write this down anymore. You don't have to be called out to the mat for it. Well, you know, I, I'm actually. That's that's the part I didn't tell you. Is that I'm giving up on this blog because I've realized that fake news is such a lucrative thing that that is what I'm going into. <laughs> I'm going to start my whole fake news enterprise. Um, and so just, just be on the lookout for that. I can't tell you much more right now, but that's just your little sneak peek. Uh, it'll be written in Russian, I assume. <laughs> I have no connection to the Russians. <laughs> I Allegedly. I haven't even been to Russia. Well, Matt Taylor, we are devastated, devastated at the loss <laughs> of Roar from 34. Uh, shame on you, sir. Shame on you. Um, and so I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you, does a blogger ever really turn it off? Do those creative juices ever stop flowing? And, you know, are there any other creative exploits out there for you? Maybe not in the world of baseball that, uh, that you have on the horizon. Well, you know, that's, that's been a thought of, you know, as much time as I put into the blog, where do I, I put that energy? I mean, sure. I could put it into, you know, trying to be a better husband or a better father, but that's, that's really cliche. Like who does that? Right. So why can't I find something, you know, that I can get a small handful of people to engage with, uh, that I don't really know that well. Um, that would be so much more meaningful. Right. Ah, wait, no, no. Um, so I, I am going to focus on those good husband, good father, uh, type things, but, um, no, in terms of like creative outlets, that's uh, that's a good question. I've been kicking around different ideas. I mean, I, I like writing and have some, you know, things in mind potentially for writing projects. Um, you know, I, I currently my current uh, current stage of life. I'm a stay-at-home dad, so I've thought about 
possibly uh, exploring that, uh, whether in blog format or, or podcast format, um, and kind of sharing the experiences. And um, boy, is it an experience of, of being a stay-at-home dad and uh, trying to learn how to do that better. People, uh, when I started, I guess about a year and a half ago, uh, my wife had stayed home with the kids, and then we we switched roles when we moved to Nashville. And um, when people, friends would ask me about it in the early going, I would say, well, I suck at this. And they'd say, oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're good. And I'd say, no, no, really, I suck at this. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not putting on a front, but that doesn't mean I'm going to suck at this, you know, several months from now or years from now, whatever the case may be. And um, I think, you know, there's a discomfort with, with hearing someone you know, say that, but there's also this thought of there's a difference between saying I suck and I'm always going to suck at this and I suck at this, but I'm going to get better. And so that kind of exploration of, of how do I get better at this and what do I learn along the way um, as a, as a parent. Um, and that, you know, that, that kind of, as I mentioned earlier, that connection with family, um, what I learned from my family about the Orioles and then tried to share with my, my kids now, same sort of thing, I think can be applied to, to parenting and that uh, there are things I, I learned and now I'm trying to, to learn as a as a dad, so I think that that's one area potentially where there could be some creative outlet for me to uh, you know, to share that, and in the same sort of way that I started War from thirty four in part because um, you know there was a frustration there with with how poorly the Orioles were doing, and um, that helped to kind of vent a bit about what was going on, and and also to you know connect with better times. I could probably use a healthy outlet uh, as I learn uh, to, to be a father uh, about good times, bad times, that sort of thing. Probably use a, a, an opportunity to vent and, and kind of get some of that, that out there in writing. So that's, that's some of the possibility that's there. Well, I think the most important thing that, that comes from this is if you are going to be the most accomplished stay-at-home dad in, on Orioles Twitter, will you still come back next spring and break down the team with us uh, on the podcast? Oh, I, I absolutely will, and uh, yeah, that would that would be my pleasure. And I do want to stay connected uh, to to the Orioles community, and I think that is one of the things that that Twitter is misleading sometimes. I think in its current form, especially as the Orioles have gotten better, uh, I think there's more negativity that's crept out there, and not not the healthy kind of negativity, right? Like it's it's okay to be negative about the, the team, um, but then I think there's a, a you know a uh, more unhealthy negativity that, that comes out sometimes. But, but overall, it, it is neat to, to have this uh, Orioles community that, that comes through on social media and other formats. And that's certainly something that I, I hope to stay connected with. So absolutely. Well, I encourage everyone to run, not to walk to their nearest computer, and go check out all of the back catalog of Roar from 34. It really is an incredible blog. Matt, you have something that you should be incredibly proud of. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. And, hey, I don't know what your summer looks like, but if it does not involve a trip out to Camden Yards so that we can pour beer down your throat, you're not doing it right. Well, I, I will be doing it right. I will absolutely be uh, spending some time at home in, uh, in Baltimore this summer, and uh, I welcome the opportunity to, to meet up and uh, tacos and find something other than the, the coffee stouts that you don't like that, that you can have, and then I'll have a coffee stout, uh, and we can we can go from there. <laughs> All right, Matt, you can find Matt at, uh, at Roar from 34, correct? 
At War from 34. Yes, that's correct. Perfect. Make sure you check him out on Twitter. And as always, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, guys. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is where we go through and, well, we rant and rave over things that are pretty much meaningless at this point of the year. Hey, we got to dust off the soapboxes. We're just getting used to it again. Gotcha. So we're getting into the best shape of our lives here. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and get started with your good for the week? I want to tell you who I think is good this week, Scotty, and that is Gabrielle Enoa. And that's how I'm going to tell you his name is pronounced, and I don't want to hear any way else. Um... He's really cementing his impression for getting that spot start, the fifth spot, uh, starter that isn't needed until the end of uh, April. But I think he's really he, he's really put himself in good position for that. Most recently, he tossed uh, five scoreless innings. He gave up a hit, a walk, three Ks, and in his last 13 batters, retired 12 of them. It was a really good final statement that he made just recently. And uh, I think unless you know anything crazy happens, he's probably... You know, in the top, I, I would I would say it's it's one or two for Enoa. What do you think? Yes, I would agree with that. All right, who's your good for this week, Jake? There's only one option here. The good for this week has to be Adam Jones coming home and winning the World Baseball Classic for Team USA. He should have got the MVP, but of course they had to go with Stroman. I mean, terrible, terrible pick, but I he's the MVP of our hearts. Yeah, man. he is Mister America. He's Captain America, Scott. That, that's true, Captain. So, and not to mention uh, getting into a kerfuffle with Yadier Molina over the Puerto Rico comments and him putting at the end saying, by the way, everyone that's adding me at Facebook and on Twitter, could you stop using so much profanity? My mom's getting really upset about it. And I don't want her to <laughs> respond. <laughs> Adam Jones is everything good. As much as I give him hard time for basically having a, having a chip on his shoulder and also being a very thin-skinned person sometimes – this is why I love Adam Jones and the personality he plays with. Yeah. You get it both. Yeah, exactly. All right, my bad for this week is Logan Verrett. Look, I know that he was a fringe candidate for the fifth starter job. I wouldn't have picked him. I would rather him be a, a long man in the Norfolk shuttle. Uh, I was really glad they brought him back into the organization. You know, they tried him out as a Rule 5 guy. I had to give him back. They got him for a song. They got him for cash. And the fact that he was in the conversation for the fifth starter is just a, a show of what dire straits were in as far as step, uh, depth is concerned. But his last outing was not good. Two-thirds of an inning, uh, charged with five runs, uh, just did not make that impact statement that Inoa made. So Logan Verrett's my bad for this week. Jake, my bad for this week is pitching depth. Mike Wright, Gabriel Yonoa, yeah, I'm going to call it Yanoa because I know it's Enoa, but Yanoa just sounds so much better. Uh, Tyler Wilson, I guess, was pitching okay. But again, the Orioles are just showing how little pitching depth they have in the minor leagues. Um, and it's going to come back and bite them. They're going to throw out some kind of three-headed monster of Logan Verrett and a Chris Lee and a Mike Wright and a Tyler Wilson. Um, an Aquino and stuff like that. And you know what? The, it's more than three heads. I know, but... It, you can put them all together because they're not really full heads. They're like three heads. So, anywho, the Orioles are going to put out a, a, a terrible fist starter option. And the, the fact that the Orioles don't have an option a week away from the beginning of the season just shows you how little depth they truly have. So, 
they'll get they'll manage to get by because again it's only going to come out to be like three or four starts as long as Tillman can get back by the end of April. But it's going to be ugly, and I do not envy any fan having to go to those games when those pitchers are pitching. Ugly, you say? I, I, no, 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 no. Let me share with you. Oh, ugly. Okay. My ugly this week is Alexi Castilla. Two point. Oh no! Our boy Bobby Andino got picked off to end a game today. Wasn't that Alexi Casillas like uh, calling card? Yeah. He got picked off for Toot Bland or or Toot Bland. It was Toot Bland because he kept running past first base and was just like, "Dude, where are you going?" And he's just like, "I didn't realize we were." We, uh, he he would get out, thrown out at third. Yeah, and, that's ugly. That's no good. You know what's ugly and it's truly ugly? Will be rain on opening day. Weather on opening day is the most important day of the entire year. It's the only day that I look at the forecast two weeks in advance and say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I don't care whatsoever if there's a blizzard coming or not. I'm just like, eh, okay. That just means I need to go out and shovel. But the one day that I always look at two weeks in advance is opening day. So please, weather gods, I beg you, please do not make opening day ugly. So far, so good. But let's make it magical once again in Birdland. I like it. I like it. Oh, that, Scotty. I think it's time we move on along and blow the save. So last week, uh, we uh, we talked about uh, an addition to Birdland with Derek Arnold uh, getting uh, a new addition uh, like on the back of his house? Well, no, more like a baby. And oh, oh. Um, well, it's great to get another member of Birdland. We need to uh, repopulate this nation in order to combat the evils and the atrocities that have been established on us for years upon years. And that's what I mean with Red Sox fans and Yankees fans coming down into Oriole Park and Canyon Yard. So, by that same token, I have decided to take up the the mantle of Derek Arnold. And I've decided to procreate, and I have decided to create another member of Birdland. We are expecting a child in September. Yes, me and Jake are expecting <laughs> a child in September. <laughs> so, uh, with, 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 that, that with, is not how I expected this to go. <laughs> so with that, um, I'm, we're very much looking forward to in the Magnus household uh, having another one in the oven uh, coming on September. And hopefully... Hopefully, this is the one that finally breaks the curse of 34 years and finally gets to see a, a, a winning team win a championship. When my son was born last time, the Ravens came back a month later and won the Super Bowl. So I'm certainly hoping that uh, this baby also has a little bit of magic inside of it as well. Scotty, congratulations to you and your wife. And if you are our last hope for this window, make it count, buddy. I'm going to try as best as I can. Um, and, and with that, I guess we'll have to close out the show. Oh, that is <laughs> that is our show. <laughs> Remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. And uh, the other thing is you can check us out at Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, home of a, a multitude of baseball podcasts out there. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate, please, a rating and review. It helps establish what's called social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. 
Uh, engage with us on social media. You can check us on Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, and Snapchat. Best way to get to us, though, is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. Well, with that, Birdland Beyond, I have nothing left, so I'm going to bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there and go procreate. Scott, I'm not carrying your baby. There's no way that's happening. Jake, whoever said you were carrying my baby, you don't have the hips for it. I do not. These hips do not lie. It's over. Go home. Go.